This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And as always, Michael, you can call us the front of the plane because we're all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. You can also follow either of your hosts if you would like to do so. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit, you can get this podcast pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts where you can follow and subscribe, on Spotify where you can follow, on Amazon Podcasts where you can just listen to it on an app that I understand is not completely terrible at downloading podcasts. There, Jeff, is that keeping you happy? Um, you can also listen through Acast. Uh, you can either stream or subscribe through the App Podcast Horseman Twitter account where we'll be sending out the link to that every Friday when a new episode goes up. And on any of those podcast streams, if you are able to leave us a five-star review, we would love it if you would. As every podcast you've ever listened to has begged you to do, it helps us in the algorithms, it helps us get spotted, it helps us get up charts, it helps basically more people talk themselves horse about this talking horse. And there's a little reward in it for you as well. If you leave us a five-star review, as many wonderful listeners have in the past, you stand a chance of getting inducted into our Hollywood Talk of Fame. Get those reviews in now to make sure that you get your names read out on the podcast before we come to our very sad end at the end of this the final season of Bojack Horseman. Um, another one of those reviews coming at the end of this episode. You, always with the sadness. Always with the sadness. <laughs> why, are you, why are you telling everyone about the sadness? Come on, man. We were on a roll. I was just about to ask you, Michael, if, you know, are we, you and I, are we Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, Kevin Klein, and all the greatest Motown singles collected on one album? Because big chills, my friend. Big chills. <laughs> big chills, because we are doing another episode of Bojack Horseman, which means another episode of Podcast Horseman. It's season six. It's episode five. It's a little uneven is all. <laughs> We've all heard that before, haven't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me tell you what the synopsis is for this one. It says, Dr. Champ tells Bojack it's time to leave rehab. Mr. Peanut Butter's reputation takes a hit. In Chicago, Diane wrestles with writer's block. She's back in business, Michael. She's in Chicago. So it would seem it's going to be a good one. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah. 
you are not wrong and as if sort of let us know that it's going to be in keeping with the styles of the current times we start with a 90s meeting it is a very bojack we are telling us that they're in the 90s as in they're literally insert in the dialogue but it's happening between bojack and danny bananas who was called by angela diaz to run horsing around now that herb's been fired so that obviously places this meeting just after that event Um, he's sucking up to bojack treating him as the star of the show saying that kind of like what he needs is what's going to keep the show on the tracks despite this enormous change and um, bojack seems to quite like having his ego massaged um but before we can get any further into their conversation the story is interrupted by dr champ appearing in it there in the diner that we're all very familiar with and dr champ seemingly takes a seat next to danny bananas suddenly we realize that was just a flashback and dr champ is explaining that he's heard this story before he says quote danny sharona the buns i've heard it all He's been through everything with Bojack at this point. Um, Bojack then, in an attempt to continue going through his various issues with Dr. Champ, asks if he's uh, told him about Gina. And then the picture cuts to their chat where Bojack famously had to cover up the fact that he'd strangled her and Gina saying, everything's fine, everything's great. Um, then next, all of a sudden, he says, oh, what about Sarah Lynn? And it cuts to all of them in the car on the bender that unfortunately, of course, killed Sarah Lynn. Um, and then finally, what about the time I sneeze on Marissa Tamir? And it cuts yet again to that shot that we've seen so many times. It's an iconic shot in and of itself of Bojack post-sneeze or mid-sneeze in some of the shots where Marissa Tamir is covered in the detritus that he's, uh, that he's smashed her in the face with. Um, Dr. Champ's seen all of it, including a dream, even where Bojack goes to a dinner party and, quote, a strange detour about a three-nippled woman in the nudie magazine, your uncle showed you. Seen it all. He could not make this any clearer. Um, Bojack's been there six months uh, and Dr. Champ says it's time to go home. That's a lot for our cold open. Um, a gentle revisiting of some of obviously the darkest moments in Bojack's life and indeed the show's life. But it sort of, I guess, is supposed to be presented with a light at the end of the tunnel. That being Dr. Champ thinks Bojack's ready for civilization again. It's quite big this, isn't it? Because you think six months in, Bojack's been there for a long time, which means he's had to reopen on rehab quite a few times, mm. if you think about it, uh, given the fact that at the very beginning of the season, he was already spending 100,000 or whatever it was for <laughs> X amount of weeks. So at this point, six months in, but it's important to see how much ground they've covered at this time and how open Bojack has been. Literally, he has told Dr. Champ everything. There is not a mm. thing on this list that he's rattled off that he hasn't told Dr. Champ, which I imagine, you know, aside from... Diane understanding that these things have happened. I doubt he's really gone into big detail about most of them with Diane. This is massive, like for Bojack, massive that Dr. Champs managed to get out of it. And the big question that remains, Michael, out of all of this is who was she? Who was the three-nippled woman? That's what I want to know. <laughs> and that's what Bojack wants to know, but he still doesn't know. And I would say, why would his uncle give him that magazine? But we know the Horseman family's got bigger problems than that, hasn't it? Um, yeah, we do. Yeah. It's, it's as you say, it's sort of what must have been a fairly gruelling six months is handled quite nicely here because we're led to assume that there's been some really dark days in the conversations between Dr. Trump and Bojack. But this, yeah, this again shows that they've gone through them and Bojack has seemingly survived the worst of those chats. Maybe therapy has actually worked. He's been very positive on it every time we've heard him speak about it, though we've never seen much of the process beyond the montage. So I think it's mm -hmm. quite interesting that the show is elected not to have us see that firsthand. It's always been secondhand, first through Bojack's accounts and now through Dr. Champ's 
confidence in the way he describes everything that we've seen Bojack go through. Mm. Yeah, he definitely seems like he's done everything he can at this point. And I mean, to be fair, given how short his initial stay was meant to be, you would mm. kind of hope so at this point, I guess. Well, we're going to see how short the state pastiches can be <laughs> once in a while in this episode. Um, the episode starts properly with busy Hollywood, uh, two very hassled assistants having an argument with each other. One is trying to deliver thousands of flowers in their car. The other is trying to block the traffic so birthday dad can shoot. They're arguing. Noticeably, uh, one is a female, one is a male. The female is more apologetic about the situation than the male. So even in the world of assistance, there is a pecking order that is defined by gender. Um, but more on that later we go to the birthday dad set where uh, mr peanut butter is shooting another risible scene from this ludicrous abysmal <laughs> format birthday dad um but his co-star and assistants hate him everyone on the set the crew just do not like him they don't want to help him he has coffee thrown on his scarf there has to be a replacement scarf that is uh, requested for him that is then thrown on his face nobody wants anything to do with him because of everything that's gone on with pickles um he's not obviously used to uh, everybody hating him and he notes to Princess Carolyn who's there on set with him that young women don't like him she's particularly concerned as they're one of uh, birthday dad's key demos I think she mentions that there's eight altogether so this is just <laughs> one yeah. fire for her to put out amongst several others um, but that kind of like springs Princess Carolyn into life over what she's going to do about the situation uh, Mr Peanut Butter to his credit is more bothered about Pickles sleeping with guys so they can finally be even Stephen we see Pickles hooking up in a bar um, to kind of illustrate this point and then it's back to Mr. Peanut Butter on set being despised, um, though he thinks eventually everything will be fixed. More on that later, too, because then we go to Chicago, where all is well with Diane and Guy. Um, she's putting off starting her memoirs. He encourages to get going, but also encourages us to get in advance because he's having to do some freelance work. He's got child support to pay and they need the money. More on that later, too, because, Nicholas, you'll notice for the first time this season, we've actually got an episode that gives us an A, a B and a C. We've been kind of stuck in uh, not format changes as such, but very loaded and um, textured and intermingling formats. The characters were finally giving them a breathing room. So we're going to stick with Bojack as we used to do once upon a time every week on this show before it got so <laughs> late. And then we will catch up with our, the rest of our characters at the end. So it's over to Bojack. He's at a leaving party for one of the uh, other patients at rehab, Denise. Um, he gives a short speech, but he seems to care more about the other patients than anybody else that's there. It becomes apparent that by staying there six months, he remembers people that some of these newer patients have never known, and Denise was perhaps the last hanger on her. She doesn't even seem that thrilled about leaving or sharing any nostalgic memories of what's obviously been quite a traumatic time. It's quite interesting, Bojack is reflecting on this, maybe as if he's been at university or college, whereas she's reflecting on this like she's been at rehab, and this has been a truly torturous time for her. Um, Bojack is secretly quite pleased about all this. He's quite settled. He's finally got the fancy room. He's perfected his omelette order. So he asks for six more weeks. Um, Bojack says hello to a newer patient, Carmen, who we learn has sold her baby for crack. And is, it is striking how different they are in terms of where they are in the rehab experience. Bojack is at this point treating this kind of like the most balanced and happiest he's ever been, where she is a shaking, shuddering wreck. Obviously, all of this is new to her. She's kind of forgotten the situation with her baby. Um, Dr. Champ says he knows what um, Bojack is going through from when he was an alcoholic, uh, but he thinks Bojack is, quote, a special case who can make it out there in the big bad world. Um, this takes Bojack to a flashback of when he was with Sharona, um, again, shortly after the hiring of Daddy Bananas on the backstage at Horsing Around. Um, their relationship is spiky, 
but friendly, as we've like kind of had allusions to in the past. It's got a toxic underbelly because they mock each other for who can drink the most and who can cope the most with booze in their system. It is clearly at this point quite a big part of both their days. So there's a there's an unpleasant air to what would otherwise be sort of nice work pattern between the two. Um, Bojack's mirror suddenly in his dressing room becomes the observatory, uh, the observatory sky as he stares into the bottom of an empty glass. And that brings him back to reality. The first of a, a few flashbacks we'll get in this one. And again, the push and pull between Bojack and Dr. Champ's differing views on where Bojack's at in his rehabilitation. Yeah, it seems like despite the fact that we've seen clearly what are massive strides, he's still perhaps not quite so sure. And this was always going to be a problem, wasn't it? Uh, I think with Bojack, but he's very much in a place where they've tried to teach him to be independent and capable of handling all of this. He's become dependent on <laughs> their helping of him to handle the situations, I guess. Um, and it's the comfort zone thing, isn't it? Like, this is a horse we have seen this with previously. Is very good at finding a place he's comfortable at and staying and clinging onto it for dear life. Unfortunately, before all this, that just happened to be at the bottom of a bottle or in, involved with a pile of pills or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, this time, though, he's found a little, quite literally, a little home for himself. And mm. I just get the feeling he's just not ready to maybe go out there because I don't think he trusts himself more than anything else. And you know what? I don't blame him. <laughs> there is a... Um, a really sweet gag, not to tread on your toes, but the, the toast they do is with a piece of toast yeah. instead of drink, obviously because it's rehabilitation. And they cut to Denise, who is shoveling that down as obviously food has become a completely different type of crutch. Yeah. Um, rehab is hard and people have reached a certain rock bottom in their life to need this hugely expensive and life-altering service. And I love that they've put Denise's plight and Carmen's plight in such striking contrast to Bojack, who looks like he's just found a good deal at Premier Inn by comparison. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like he's having not the best time, but he looks like he's having the best time for him at the moment, I would say. Mm. Um, and what, what everything that's gone on with his life, and you're right, the contrast couldn't be starker. Like the way that Denise has transferred her previous addictions to what could potentially become food, and we've got Carmen who hasn't even begun her journey of rehabilitation mm. yet. And he looks fresh as a daisy. <laughs> um, and he's been talked round. The next scene finds Bojack begrudgingly agreeing to check out of rehab. Uh, he's leaving a corridor. Again, it's played very much like yeah. leaving college or leaving your dorm or something like that. He says goodbye to a character, Sobby Bobby, who is just <laughs> this man called Bobby who sits and cries in the corridor. He gets um, some Funyuns from his favourite vending machine that one last time. He uh, even bumps into the paparazzi birds outside that we, uh, we've seen obviously in prior seasons but it turns out they're not there for him they're there for quote Gen Z pop star superstar slash fashion disruptor Joey Pogo um, Joey Pogo's getting the fancy room which suddenly rattles Bojack into believing that nothing about his exit is to do with his recovery it's to do with their admin um, we get this this is illustrated through a, a series of ridiculous slow motion sequences that don't enhance the plot it's not to be confused with a stupid piece of shit or when princess carolyn is surrounded by other versions of herself it is literally just the character saying the words slower as if to patronize bojack into understanding what the hell they're talking about <laughs> um 
So you see kind of them all go through this very, very slowly until Bojack resolves that, yes, they're just kicking him out to make room for Joey. He races back to Dr. Champ's uh, therapy, interrupting a session with another patient, Brad. Um, Bojack is so desperate to get out a zinger that he's come up with in front of the pair of them, but he's knackered from running there, so he can't do it for catching his breath. It's all very, just give me a minute, just give me a second. And he finally manages to get out. Bojo, go bye-bye for Joey Pogo. That's a no-go, bro. And then just about collapses again with a, worth it. And then finally falls to the floor in a heap. He's not mm-hmm. going anywhere. We find Bojack unpacking in his old room again. Um, and Dr. Champ notes how this is just another case of his jealousy issues that are acting up. It's again, not about rehabilitation. It's just about other stuff. Joey Pogo pops his head in the door um, to check into the room. And we learn that they're racing him through rehab in a day, or more specifically, in a few seconds, as Dr. Champ pies him off with a few bits of generic advice so we can get on with filming his video tomorrow. Um, Bojack panics about um, the having no support system outside of uh, rehab. So he calls Todd. Um, but his first when he calls Todd, he's first greeted by Todd's assistant, Georgette. I should point out earlier in the episode that Todd obviously has now taken on the reins as Ruthie's full-time babysitter. Um, there was, I believe, an ice cream explosion where five people were killed, but Todd realised that he was missing out on that to watch out for Ruthie, and that gave him the brainwave that he perhaps needed to get assistant involved. Naturally, it being Todd, it's all gone too far. Uh, Georgette places Bojack on hold with some intolerable Todd-based hold music, uh, because Todd's busy with Ruthie, and it turns out he's got 12 assistants working for him. Um, he gets to speak to Bojack nonetheless. Um, unlike Princess Carolyn's 12 bodies that we saw at one point where she's trying to do all those important jobs, Todd's assistants aren't doing anything important whatsoever. They've all been given very ridiculous Todd-style tasks. Um, but Bojack admits to him over the phone that he might need his help when he gets out of rehab. Todd says yes. And then asks him to wait one jiffy, which gives us the great interstitial title card of, quote, two and a half jiffies later. It cuts back to Bojack packing, uh, and he's suddenly startled by Todd's assistant, Casey, who has been sent to help him. That was Todd's immediate solution to the Bojack problem, was to send him his own assistant. She's very helpful and extremely supportive and prepared to be abused. Um, She is a reflection of the assistants that we saw earlier in the episode about how they just will be treat like absolute garbage by their bosses. Um, she notes particularly that she just had some awful treatment off the back of working for Mark Cherry. Um, she stumbles upon his bottle of vodka uh, and obviously stops from drinking it um, and explains that it's a reminder of Sarah Lynn, Sarah Lynn. And it is, of course, said like that to remind us of the observatory as he looks into the bottle. Um, and this transitions us to yet another flashback, again, to the same sort of time period in the uh, in the 90s. And um, this time Sharona is doing Sarah Lynn's hair in Bojack's dressing room. Um, she's in there. Oh, I don't like this. She's in there because her stepdad is in her room and he's, quote, being weird. Um, Sarah Lynn out loud says she just misses Herb. Um, but Bojack suddenly out of guilt, tries to play the whole thing down. Um, he's getting pretty irritated that Sarah Lynn is even in there and that Herb is coming up in conversation. Um, he snaps at both of them, ultimately, at both Sharona and Sarah Lynn, um, at which point Sharona bollocks Bojack, saying, quote, Bojack, she's 10. Um, Bojack storms out the room. Sharona goes after him to try and have a word with him about how he should be speaking in front of a child. Uh, and we see Sarah Lynn, very sad and very upset, sitting alone. She spies the bottle of booze on his dressing table, um, which at that point is the cut back to Bojack in the present day looking at the bottle of booze himself. 
um, he tells Casey, he kind of has a, a realisation that the uh, the only reason he's got this bottle of booze in there is because he feels special, that he can break all the rules because that's what all famous people can do. That's what all stars can do. Um, and worse still, the assistants enable it. The likes of Casey allow it to happen by being screamed at and just being okay with it and going and doing ridiculous errands and ridiculous jobs. He kind of like borders on lecturing her to have a little bit of self-respect and the ability to stand up for herself, even if it's a job. But it works too well. He asks her to go and get some Funyuns and she says no. It's a sudden moment of clarity for her, but not just for her. She gets a phone out, starts sending a message. Um, and we get a montage of assistants, Todd's included, all just abandoning the duties at the same time. They appear to get some sort of text and then they just literally, in some cases, drop everything all the assistants are walking out and unionising, all as a result of Bojack's bollocking of his assistant in the first place. Um, this includes, of course, in, in a nice callback to the start of the episode, um, the assistant that was holding up traffic for the film and her birthday, mm-hmm. and literally everybody down tools and is on their way. Um, we'll come back to that a little bit later on, because later that day, we've got Dr Champ going back to Bojack's room, um, and Bojack, he finds Bojack hugging his duvet, hugging his knees under the duvet, suddenly very scared of the world. It's kind of all hit him, begging not to leave. Um, Dr. Champ gets a little bit cross at this point, thinks that Bojack is simply just taking up somebody's space. Uh, In frustration, Bojack goes to swig from the vodka bottle, but thankfully he spits it out straight away, realises the error of his ways, and he throws the bottle out of the window. (laughs) But it lands amongst hundreds of other identical water bottles. Bojack sees this, but before he can save the day, we uh, see Bojack go into the, the sort of main common room and literally every character is drinking <laughs> from a bottle of water. Bojack, Andy, the camera zooms in on Dr. Champ, who takes an almighty guzzle of vodka and then hits that immediate alcoholic burp that we've all heard and seen a million times in TV shows to know that this has gone as bad as it possibly could have, pretty much. Um, you know, we can wrap Bojack up here, if you like, if you want me to just keep going. There's a little bit more of Bojack's plot and then we've covered it. Um, because Dr. Champ is in Bojack's room and waffling because he's absolutely shit-faced. <laughs> this is, of course, him falling off the wagon. It's only earlier in the episode where he spoke about his own alcoholism and now Bojack has inadvertently put the booze back in his hand. He's uh, falling all over the place. He's talking nonsense and he passes out on Bojack's bed. <laughs> Um, Bojack is messing around with a suitcase um, as obviously he's starting to get his stuff packed back into it and this transitions us to the final flashback to the 90s era of latter day horsing around. It's the horse arriving at his job with a giant suitcase that's supposed to have Sabrina in it for the set piece but when he taps the case and it opens up Sarah Lynn isn't inside. Um, Danny Bananas yells cut and it goes backstage to Bojack and Danny having a conversation in his office all very low lit. Um, It turns out Sarah Lynn's been sent home because she'd gotten drunk off the booze. Um, Her mother is furious obviously and uh, Danny tells Bojack that they're all absolutely screwed if the bottle was Bojack's. He knows, Danny knows what's gone on here but he forces Bojack to deny it in front of him so they can go and quote investigate who it might have been knowing full well where she's got the drink um he then and of course cute bit here he then goes to fix bojack's hair a little bit at which point he says quote it's just a little uneven is all uh which of course that's the name of the episode uh and he that, said that he said the thing 
<laughs> Bojack's inherent sadness is what flashes us back to the present day with his head in his hands. But that's broken up by Dr. Champ begging Bojack to help him. All of a sudden, the tables have turned. And after an episode of Bojack campaigning desperately to stick around at pastiches despite Dr. Champ's best um, intentions, Dr. Champ says to Bojack, quote, you need to stay. Bojack ponders that as the credits roll. God damn it. I mean, <laughs> we've seen literally the best and worst of Bojack Horseman here, haven't we? In one, mm. one fell swoop. Inadvertently starting one of the greatest moments in the lives of all the assistants of Hollywood, giving them the courage to finally stand up against mm. these awful, awful, horrible Hollywood people they've been working for. Perhaps not exactly what he had in mind, but an entire group of assistants has unionized. Amazing. Yeah. It's amazing Brilliant. moment. <laughs> and yet it all comes from him being a piece of shit in the first place and sort of calling himself out for it. So manages to do this great thing by accident and then manages to do this absolutely terrible thing mm. not long after by accident. And it seems <laughs> that as much growth as Bojack has made, it's almost like it's still there, isn't it? it mm. A great example where you think, oh, God, he's done this really amazing thing for good. He's, like, changed the lives of all these people, given them the strength to believe in themselves. Not really what he wanted to do. He, <laughs> want, he wanted to lecture somebody about not standing up for themselves. He didn't really want them to go off and do it. And then yeah. they have. And then inadvertently, while trying to fix his own problem of drinking, has <laughs> thrown a bottle into the delivery of water bottles that was coming. And then, like, corrupted the one man who's basically saved him in this whole the irony can't be lost on you there like yeah. the one man who spent six months trying to save <laughs> Bojack Horseman has just had his whole life turned upside down in one day by that stupid stupid horse incredible yeah, it's, I've seen it all was what he kept saying at the start yeah. it was the whole it's that the show hasn't done this in a while, and I understand why, because it's been dealing with very heavy themes, and I don't think it wanted to patronise the viewer or undermine the themes. But it's the first time in a while where they've meshed the um, the tar, the poison, with kind of a comedic wacky stack. Yeah. So you've got, you got two here in the form of the assistant strike and the water bottle, um, or the vodka bottle, I guess. And, yeah, it's been a while since they've been able to make giant gags out of the issues that are at the heart of the show. That probably goes all the way back to Neil McBeal, the Navy SEAL, I would guess would be the first time that happened because that was dealing with Bojack's overeating and then his stubbornness, wasn't it? You know, and like that, that was such a fixture in the show for a long time. And then as the characters became more fleshed out and the issues became more pronounced and the show braved dealing with them, mm. I think they had to pull back a little bit from some of these. And it was like, dare I say it, as big as these moments were for obviously Dr. Champ, unfortunately, um, it felt a little bit of light relief in this one. Very comedic by the com uh, by the standards of this season, I would probably say, and compared to a lot of the other stuff. As you said, I think that I feel it feels like as the show goes on, as Bojack Horseman goes on, they got more confident in just just delivering stuff that was serious in a mm. serious fashion because it, you know it's ultimately the end game and message of the show. But you are absolutely right. There's so many times it's happened in the past where we've had these comedic breakups or we've had like a heavy thing that has been sort of delivered with a large and wild amount of comedy. And it's still there, just maybe not in some of the important issues that mm. deal with 
it's if anywhere i think it existed as it tends to do um in the flashbacks yet more windows in uh, bojack's world sarah lynn one was hard really hard going sharona again like in this episode alone they kind of like re-established this quite strange sort of codependent relationship between sharona and bojack and yet in that moment she's got to be a surrogate mother figure to sarah lynn because bojack in his role as a surrogate father is badly badly letting her down she's 10 they linger on the fact that she's 10 she's exposed to booze in his room because i don't even think what she's exposed to in her own with the mentions of her stepdad and we already know about the issues with her mother and things like that it, they never stop filling sarah lynn's plate and making you realize how untenable her life was always going to be she just didn't have much of a chance did she that was yeah. a combination of things that she just didn't really give her any chance to kind of get where she needed to go mm. um there's another sort of fairly hefty moment and it comes a little bit out of left field i think in this episode so we'll go to that now because it's with diane um she's still putting off starting a book obviously as we said um but guy has kind of given her the encouragement she needs to finally get going um and we see her speak to princess carolyn for advice but in the time it takes her to go through that incredibly long title again and try and explain what the book is which is perhaps part of the problem why she's trying to get started in the first place princess carolyn put her on hold then called her back to let her know that she managed to sell it to a publisher and uh, in her words quote you have six months enjoy the process so she has given her the funding i guess that she needs the money that the advance that guy was keen for her to get but the would you call it motivation would you call it terror whatever yeah, of diane fear. to have no choice the fear yeah um for diane to have no choice but to crack on um we're gonna get one more scene later on on this but it's a big one um guy gets home and she's typing away diane on the, the laptop um but she slams the lid down straight away seemingly embarrassed about the prospect of him reading any of it which guy understands um she says she's finally starting to get into it she's finally starting to get into her own head and finally get the words out of the page so guy wants to leave her to it he doesn't want to process he's really pleased for her but then the score turns ominous in that way that bojack does sometimes when you know some dark shit is coming and this is pretty dark this is shining dark it reveals a screen on her laptop with, quote, I am terrible, written 50 times. It's all very all work and no play, make Jack a dull boy. Um, and she looks it's really wonderfully animated um, because you could not feel sadder for Diane in the moment. She looks dejected. She looks pained, uh, like physically in pain at how much of a failure she feels. Yeah, it's hard, this, isn't it? Um... Initially, maybe you just think a bit of a procrastinating thing going on, you know, as it happens with writers and they're kind of trying to find their feet. Mm. But the the reveal of the big screen is not, oh, man, it's a wounder. It's not good for you. And we don't like seeing Diane in this situation. But it's this is it's again, she's at this point now. She's chasing the thing she wants now, which is she's moved to Chicago. Now she's going to try and write and guys going to try and they're going to try and have this life. Mm. and yet she's got to the end of the rainbow and the gold is proven hard to come by it's, <laughs> it's fool's gold it was just i think um as well like they've they, like i said there wasn't a lot of diane and guy in this one um but i think they probably realized they didn't need much mm. um there's probably a meta gag in there about the writers 
not knowing where to get started on the new chapter of Diane's life as Diane can't get started on the new chapter of her book. But I just thought it was quite neat how they managed to pack so much in uh, like the scenes were overly dialogue heavy. It yeah. was surface level new life, everything going well to the point where it kind of slapped in the face a bit by that reveal. You assume things aren't perfect, but it hits you quite hard just how far the other way it's going. Yeah, there's a tiny hint, I feel like, in even just Diane's inability to make what sounds like a reasonably good breakfast for Guy. Like, she, mm. she kind of says, oh, thanks for breakfast. And she says, yeah, thanks for calling it breakfast, or whatever she says. <laughs> and that, in any other show, that might just be a normal bit of funny interaction. But you just, there's always something in this show that will lead you to where, you, to where we're headed if you're paying mm. attention. And uh, all might not be what what she was hoping for it to be, I think, especially you haven't written out all of that on a laptop, line after line after that. Was it I Am Terrible? Yeah, uh, it was. I believe it was I Am Terrible or I Am a Failure. Let me just check my notes again. I Am, I am Terrible. I Am Terrible. I am That's terrible. what it was. Yeah. 50 times, I Am Terrible. 50 times. It's not good. It's And she's not terrible. We know she's not terrible, but she's the best. obviously she's had a bit of a rough go, man. We're six seasons in. And that woman has had a rough go of it, I think it's fair to say to a woman who, thankfully, is not having such a rough go now that Todd has been employed to look after Ruthie, we have Princess Carolyn saving Mr. Peanut Butter's career. Um, she has figured out a way to deal with the abuse that he was taking from the cast and crew that we referred to earlier on. She's made a meme out of him. <laughs> Mr. Peanut Butter sat on a bench and she is in that meme font. Sad dog underneath it. And she is sort of implied that anytime anybody wants to say they're sad, they're going to call it a sad dog moment. It's going to have his face splashed all over it. And this is going to be the quick fix to all of Mr. Peanut Butter's problems. Um, <laughs> but maybe not the immediate problem of Pickles ringing him from Carl's bed just after having sex to note that the emotional connection just isn't there. So it can't really count. And they agree that she needs to just keep sleeping with other guys <laughs> until she forms an emotional connection with somebody. <laughs> then it might be even. Um, but it does end well for Mr. Peanut Butter. Back on the birthday dad set, um, another scene is completed. Uh, and it's at this point that Joey Pogo arrives on the set, having done his five seconds in rehab, having been allowed through traffic by the assistant that didn't give a toss anymore. And Princess Carolyn spies yet another opportunity to make it count. She pushes Mr. Peanut Butter in front <laughs> of the slow moving car. Then before any kind of incident could actually happen, announces to the crew that he's a sad dog, just like the meme. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, everybody races to assume that Mr. Peanut Butter has a mental illness or is struggling with his mental health because they've been won over by the meme, not the actual dog himself. Joey Pogo sings for him. Everybody cheers. And then when Mr. Peanut Butter knows that it's all worked out, he gets a nudge from Princess Carolyn to end the sentence with, quote, depressingly. <laughs> and that sort of keeps everybody on board. Uh, mental health really matters. Princess Carolyn knows you get through to people with a meme. And I mean, if, you know, anybody looking at this and going, well, this is a bit daft. <laughs> You're wrong. You are wrong because this is, this is the society we live in now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even, it's not even off the mark, is it? Like no. the, the power of social media, the power of memes and like sort of popular culture, the way that they deliver this, I, I will not be able to stop laughing no matter any time Amy Sedaris delivers sad dog 
like puts the <laughs> puts the iPad in front of her face with the meme on, and Amy Sedara saying "sad dog" every time <laughs> is just the funniest thing because it's so stupid, and yet, and yet, it works. It really, <laughs> really works. And then, of course, the sort of that surface level uh, empathy, and I say that with inverted commas from mm. people who are like wanting to look like they are providing empathy because they know that's what is expected of them. Do you know what I mean? That immediate yeah, jump to, so mental health is a very serious issue, but we've all, we all know people who are happy to discuss it as part of a real, genuine, mm. sincere conversation to come up with solutions. And there are also people who are happy to quote unquote discuss it so they can look like they are discussing an important topic of the week. I don't mean any shade anyone in particular with this. I just mean we've all seen it done. It's very much the thing. And this is the world of Hollywood and that is exactly what I feel like we're seeing here. Easily won over by this sad dog <laughs> meme of all things. And Princess Carolyn pushing him in front of... It's like Austin Powers and the steamroller all over again. Like <laughs> Just the slow-moving vehicle. He was never in any danger. And now because he's announced openly that he's sad. Man, a, a man no less as well, Michael, a, mm -hmm. a dog man has told the world <laughs> he's sad. And that is what a stride he's made. It is. It's just an impeccable societal commentary. Yeah. Everyone is the crowd around him. A base, it's the physical equivalent of somebody hitting retweet. And yeah. it's yes. fitting that it's a meme because yeah. it's that kind of we're all guilty of it, we're all complicit in it. Um, and that comes from meaning well, as most of us, I would like to think, do. Um, but that's what all of those interactions are. And he nearly loses them. He nearly loses nearly them. Loses and all them. he needs to do is add the word depressingly on the end, and it saves well, the day. Funnily, though, the, 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 the real line of distinction here for me was between the two bird journalists. One of them calls him a stupid idiot or a stupid brained idiot or something like that for trying to step in front of the car initially mm. and then as soon as there's a mention a whiff of the mental health element the other little bird who's with him the other he's like oh my god we had no idea and suddenly, <laughs> yeah. like it's gone from he's a stupid brained idiot or whatever he calls him to oh my god we had no idea you had mental <laughs> health issues or you were struggling with your mental health you're so open you're so honest and that's it and that's that honestly this this show will pick up the commentary of society Rick, better than any other show that I've watched. And yes, other shows can do it. I'm just not sure how many that can do it with a hit rate that, that's this high. I miss it. When I see a scene like this, I miss it from, like, I need it to exist all the time because issues yeah. change. And yeah. I feel we are, you know, as we labour on sometimes, coming to the end, sadly, of Podcast Horseman and Bojack Horseman. And what it's made me realise is that we have had an era of issues that Bojack has gotten across for us. It's like yeah. like Bojack has served as like mom and dad to parent us through these very <laughs> yeah. difficult societal changes. And now what? Like, how would Bojack have addressed the pandemic? How would it have addressed post-pandemic life? And uh, so on and so on and so on. Forever and ever and ever and ever. I I'm, I miss it more realizing yeah. that this was trying to help. This was trying to reflect and trying to help and trying to not change, because I don't think they would want it to be thought of as that way, but it was just, yeah, trying to reflect. And I, I miss not having, like, this. Other shows will do it just as other shows did before. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always said, you know, The Sopranos walked so the wire could run so Bojack Horse could gallop. There will always be a show 
that will be the best at holding a mirror back to the world. I just wish we still had Bojack to do it. Because it is such a great show, that's a problem. And it's, mm. I think if you watch this show, you come out and you are, you should be, if you're watching properly, you will hopefully come out, even if it doesn't make you a more intelligent, more well-rounded person, it will certainly have given you some questions to think about that I reckon maybe at least one of them you won't have thought about in the past. And that's surely the whole point of this. This show taught me more than any other show that are reminded me certainly that they're meant to have a message. You know, when you're watching a show and it just goes off the rails mm. uh, for whatever reason, studios extending it past the amount of seasons it's meant to have or changing of the writing staff or whatever, a show just loses its way. It all goes back to the message. Always, always the message. What was the point? Why did we start making this show originally? I don't think for any single step of the way Bojack Horseman ever forgets what kind of show it's trying to make. And this Never. is just another of a multitude of examples where they must have it every single time they sat down to write the next episode. Here are the here is the overarching thing we're trying to achieve. Here's the important topics of this. What when we finish this episode, do we want everybody to feel and think and say? And they've covered a multitude again in just this mm -hmm. episode. And I just this show is better than the show you like, Mike. I don't know <laughs> if anyone's mentioned that before. It remains a total powerhouse, doesn't it? Total and utter powerhouse. A turtle powerhouse. <laughs> Some people might even say, who knows? Is that you? Is that you all done? And that is us. That That's dog. Us. That dog has got <laughs> mental health problems, so we need to be kinder to him. That is us. Sad dog days aren't over. They're just beginning, <laughs> Michael. So it would seem depressingly. <laughs> <laughs> but now let's go happily across into our next part of the show. We call Horsing Around, where we go back to the beginning of the episode. We go through and try to find all of the hidden meanings behind certain things, the small details you might have missed, and indeed the Easter eggs within the episode. Thankfully, thankfully, after two weeks of brutal cold opens and flicking between social media pages, none of that this week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I, I did sort of like have a sigh of relief on your behalf watching the episode myself. 
Yeah. Just thinking, none of that this week. He gets away. Well, I off. promise you. I promise you, it was it was not as big as my sigh of relief. Because as much as we love, we do love doing this show. Those episodes are the ones that really take a toll. But thankfully, Michael, I've got to start with Danny Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> a potential banana peel at the start of the episode, but thankfully not from the man who is clearly only named Danny Bananas as we sit in the Silver Spoon Diner at the beginning of this episode. Because he's a proboscis monkey, Michael. I don't know if you noticed that, but the type of monkey that he is, is mm. a proboscis monkey. Um, and of course, that's why he's called Danny Bananas, because monkeys Very eat good. It's Indeed. nice and easy, isn't it? It's nice and easy. Behind him, though, if you find anybody who's paying attention, you will see a billboard. We've seen it a million times outside the window of the Silver Spoon Diner. Uh, it's a billboard for Pulp Fiction, Michael, as opposed to Pulp Fiction, um, because it's got it features on said billboard the iconic image of Uma Thurman like lying for on a like on a chest forward yes. um with her hands all in the right position. Only she's a dog, of course, Michael, because it's <laughs> So there she is, sitting on that bed as a dog, because there you go. Thoughts on a postcard, what her name might be instead of Uma Thurman at Podcast Horseman. Do let us know your best ones. Um brilliantly this I just Danny Bananas, a stupid character, I think we can both agree. But one that comes out with this, which I thought was quite entertaining. You're the special source, Bojack. Me? I just want to be the bun. And not even the top or the bottom bun. I'm fine just being the middle bun. <laughs> <laughs> and what a such a specific thing for burger lovers across the world. <laughs> this is his, met- his Big Mac metaphor. He doesn't want to change the recipe. He just wants to be the middle bun. And sometimes, Michael, I kind of get it. I, I kind of get it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just want to draw attention as well to the lovely animation and the colour palette that we get here when we sort of drift, as you mentioned, between all of Bojack's memories. I think it goes like purple and then green and yellow and all these different colours as we flow between these various different horrible memories of Bojack's. That he's, I like the way he and Dr Champ are sitting in all the memories together. It's quite a cool little way to mm. do that animation. And of course, who doesn't love Bojack Horseman sneezing on Marissa Tomei, one of the longest running gags in this whole show. Gets yeah. me every single time. But brilliantly, as I mentioned a little bit earlier as well, there's that last memory where we see in a flashback Bojack and the three-nippled woman, as the tale goes, where he's holding a copy of Rusla magazine instead of Husla magazine, of course. Um, and on the picture, you'll see <laughs> there's a half-naked cow woman who's, like, <laughs> who's sort of turned away, but her face in the, the front holding her bra or her bikini with like the back straps loose and like posing back at the camera, looking back towards the camera, which is brilliantly the woman who Bojack says, who was she? <laughs> who will never know? Incredible stuff. And of course, the last little bit we get from this interaction is that Bojack has, of course, as you mentioned, been in rehab for six months at this point. Uh, from there, we go to the set of Birthday Dad on the streets of LA. And the man you mentioned, one of the assistants who's, Angrily trying to get through here, but cannot get through because of another assistant who is stopping traffic for production, says, while sitting in a car full of flowers, of course, my boss is going to kill me if I don't deliver these flowers to his mistress. (laughs) Great, I guess. (laughs) Lovely stuff from the men of Hollywood once again. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter's co-star Melody, of course, is um, as she's in the scene with Mr. Peanut Butter. Brilliant, this. A great commentary, I should point out, on TV shows in general that do this really get on my nerves. She's got a coffee cup 
and she's talking with the coffee cup. It's like a Starbucks coffee cup or whatever you want to call it. And they deliberately make her do all these mad hand gestures with her hand that clearly couldn't be anything in this coffee cup. <laughs> and then when she finishes the dialogue, she says, and now if you don't mind, I'm going to have a drink of my coffee. And she sips the coffee. <laughs> be everywhere at this point, but there's of course nothing in the cup. It's just a lovely commentary, I thought, from RBW on his hatred of that, I presume. And peanut butter, obviously, in an effort to try and make yeah. nice with the people. Like, he goes over the top to say, what a great scene it was, and aren't we making such great television yeah. here when the whole thing has been exposed as, well, a catastrophe for the one of a better example. <laughs> it's yet more action. <laughs> yes, but also part of me does believe that Mr. Peanut Butter also believes it is actually quite good. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. But, of course, he does tell Melody, as you've alluded to there, Gives out lots of big props because he says, are we, Glenn, as I mentioned to you at the start of this podcast, I should point out as well, are we Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, Kevin Klein, and all the greatest Motown singles collected on one? But she cuts him off and tells him, I don't know, she calls him a piece of shit or something and walks off. And he goes, ah, big chills, because he just has to get it in there to tell yeah. everyone. Of course, the big chill being the 1983 American comedy drama film about a group of baby boomers who attended the University of Michigan, reuniting after 15 years when their friend dies by suicide. But on top of that, Michael, who did the soundtrack for the whole film and put it out on their record label? It was, of course, Motown Records, hence the Motown singles collected on one bit that he's talking about. It's all relative, yeah, on podcast. <laughs> and um, also brilliantly, as you mentioned, when Mr. Peanut Butter is talking to Princess Carolyn about how all of the women are angry with him at the minute, especially young women, having hit the big thumbs down on old Pinarino, as he calls himself. It says, <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn says, oh no, especially young women is one of our show's eight target devils. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a horrible Hollywood speak. Oh, but it's yeah. literally 100% the truth, I think, at that point. Um, we go across from there, of course, to the bar where Pickles is trying to get laid, Michael. A bit like James, you might say. Um, and in there, we can see as she's talking to the guy she's trying to pull, uh, in the background is a woodpecker sitting at a table by themselves and is opening a can of beer with their beak, a bit like when you shotgun a can and you pop the bottom and you drink yeah. it down. He's popped the can and put it in his mouth with his beak. Very, very funny. <laughs> um, from there, we go across to the uh, set of Birthday Dad once again on the streets of L.A., and lots of people giving Mr. Peanut Butter the stink guy. There is a snake person sound guy who's walking past who literally just gives him the finger. <laughs> <laughs> gives him the finger and hisses at him as it walks past. And then it's brilliant because straight after that, you mentioned the scarf that gets thrown in his face by one of the worker bees who comes out and just tosses it in his face, <laughs> smacks him right in the mouth. It's so funny. And then we go across to Chicago, though, from there. We're outside of what you believe is Guy's house or certainly in Guy's street in Chicago. You will see, and I'm, but genuinely, I'm amazed I got this off the top of my head just through my own knowledge. I don't know why I know this, but a narwhal person with a really long tusk on their head, of course, and who was scraping the snow off the car of their window with the tusk. And nice. I immediately looked and went, narwhal. And then I had to check it and I was like, yeah, it is narwhal. How the hell well did done. I know that? Good I work. don't know how I knew that. It was just in there somehow. Yeah. I guess David Attenborough must have been doing his job at some point. <laughs> we go to Pastiches from there, though, um, and we see the goodbye party for Denise, or certainly the leaving parade, or whatever you want to call it for her. And the, brilliantly, the banner that says, Goodbye, Denise. If you really look carefully, you can see they've like scrubbed out the bit that says, Goodbye, Mario. Of course, Mario, one of the former attendees uh, at 
um, at Pastiches, who was that actor in disguise. I can't remember. I should have it in my notes here, but it was an actor in disguise playing Mario for Zack Snyder, if you remember rightly. Um, yes, yes. Like he was getting into the role in the headspace for it, which was really good. We also see in the middle of Pastiches, we see some familiar faces who have replaced the old crew that used to be there. Obviously, as time has passed over these six months. Two you might remember, Michael. One is Mr. Jay Zebra himself. Of course, famous <laughs> husband of Beyonce, or as Seth Rogen likes to call her, Beyonce. <laughs> and also a Ryan Seacrest type Michael is in there. Yes, well. I did clock him there, right. yeah. Probably because he looks a little bit like you. <laughs> Why don't you you spotted him, right? But that's a tale for another story. <laughs> also, I just noticed across a few little bits inside the room where they're all meeting for uh, Denise's leave and do. Couple of paintings are on the wall, and uh, a couple of Rorschach tests you can see are on the wall. That you can see, you know, the ink block tests where you mm. interpret the images. There's a few of them floating around on the wall, which I just thought was an interesting thing to have up there. And uh, of course, Bojack raising his non-alcoholic toast to Denise, which was an actual piece of toast. Before, as you said, Denise holds it dear and eats it because that's her new addiction. I guess it's probably going to be food. Bojack, though, doing so well, just throws his away, just chucks it away out of his hand without consequence. Only for someone from a distance, Michael, to yell, Ow, oh, my gluten intolerance. <laughs> 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 Which felt like such a Hollywood thing as well, I should point out. But brilliant little gag that. Yeah. Um, you would have you would have missed it if you weren't paying attention. The subtitles are your friend, everyone. Put those closed captions on when you're watching Bojack Horseman. Um, we go across to Tabby Woo Apartments from there, though. And on the exterior, you'll see... Uh, a van driving past, and the van is called Salt and Stray. Ice cream and neutering, Michael. There. What oh, a God. <laughs> what a combo. But we're not finished there because, of course, you'd like to hear that it's a good it's a good company, at least. And as they'll tell you on the back of the van, our neutering is all natural and organic with the best local natural free-range doctors California has to offer. Our ice cream is good, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, as you mentioned again, that was the ice cream truck that crashed into the root beer factory, of all things, and caused <laughs> such a commotion. Uh, brilliantly, the, you hear the explosion. Todd is shaken up. He looks out of, his in, out of his window. He's talking to a man who's in a tuxedo with like a top hat. I think we've seen him before in an earlier mm. episode, but he's over the top, this guy, and he's like, there's been a disaster. Da, da, da. And then Todd says, sounds like a delicious disaster. And the man <laughs> in the truck says, five people are dead. <laughs> <laughs> The whole thing had me in stitches, but not as funny, Michael, as the man who we've seen him many times in this show, the man with the flat cap and the checkered shirt, and he's been in a million episodes. Yes. He's back. He's back. Covered in ice cream, isn't he? He's absolutely covered. (laughs) Not having a good time as he basically crawls back from the explosion. (laughs) It's not a good way, Michael. He's had too much ice cream and root beer. But I was reminded, though, he looked very similar to the time when Bojack was sick on him after eating too much cotton candy. <laughs> Pink. Brilliant stuff. Really, really good. But yes, the flat cap man is back. You'll know who we're talking about. If you know, you know. We go across mm. to Pastiches once again as Bojack is leaving, as you mentioned. Very much a um, coming-of-age film, leaving a big thing, this, wasn't it, when he's going down the corridor? Yeah. Um, he goes past Sobby Bobby, as you mentioned, who, if you look on his door, we assume... Is probably named Robert Cryer because his <laughs> <laughs> because his door reads R dot Cryer, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. 
really good. Oh, tag. great. Not quite as good, though. Well, actually, it probably is. But you go past an, another door. We don't get to see who's in this room. But the person's door reads S. Norton, which is, of course, snorting, Michael, for a bunch of people <laughs> who are sitting in rehab for various ailments. Good stuff, this. Goes out goes to the uh, vendor and says, what do you say, B7? One more hike down Funyan Canyon. <laughs> As you'll notice, from the point where he's had the box and he suddenly is outside, he has, of course, bought the Funyans and they are now in his box of stuff. Uh, actually, speaking of outside, while we are there, we get another long-term callback, which I'm sure you probably caught if you were paying attention. As Bojack gets outside, steps back into the real world, what do we see go across over the top of his head in the sky? It is the pig with the camera yes. floating on the little red balloon. And this goes all the way back, Michael. The first time we ever saw this pig was season one, episode two, would you believe? Wow. All the way back then. And the last time I can recall seeing it, or certainly have it in my notes, is season two, episode 12. So that, I mean, there might have been later sightings, perhaps, floating around somewhere in the background. But that's a long old time, man. That's a long old time. And I trust Bojack Horseman to bring such a small detail back after such a long time. One last one, of course, is that Bojack's bag that he took in with him that was originally spy shit, then got changed to rehab shit, has now been changed once again and now reads sober shit. Because <laughs> hey, everybody needs a bag and Bojack's got one now for all his sober shit. We go outside, well, we were outside of Pastiches, we go back inside as Bojack dashes in in such a hurry Bursting, bursting in on horse therapy, of course. Uh, poor Brad, just trying to get through some issues with Dr. Champ. And, of course, you mentioned after he finally regains his composure, gets his breath back. This really did pop me, this. Bojack trying to get his zinger out. <laughs> but he finally says, check this out. Boho go bye-bye for Joe, Joe Poco. That's a no-go, bro. <laughs> Before, obviously, collapsing and saying, where's it? <laughs> Cut across to the next scene. We go to the set of birthday dad from there. The LA streets once again. And of course, sad dog meme. Who's not going to laugh at sad dog meme? Brilliant stuff. But these are the phrases Princess Carolyn was saying before she said, teacher gave you too much homework? Sad dog. (laughs) Favorite sport outfit? Lost the match? Sad dog. (laughs) And brilliantly, the pictures that she shows of these, or the teacher one, it's like him wearing a graduation hat with a backpack, books, and an apple next to him on the bench. But the way they put the images in is being done by, like, clearly as quick as possible. It's still got the white outline around the square <laughs> of the images. Um, and as for the, the favourite sports outfit, losing the match, he's suddenly wearing a number one fan foam finger. There's, <laughs> <laughs> like, an American football on the bench next to him again with the white cut out. And then on the floor is a little baseball that's not even a coloured baseball. It's, like, just the outline of it <laughs> with still the white square around it. Brilliant stuff. This terrible cutouts over to Chicago once more, actually inside of Guy's house this time. And just while um, Princess Carolyn is on the phone to Diane, who's calling her for advice about what she should do, she, <laughs> Princess Carolyn hitting the nail on the head once again here. She says, Oh, yes, I thought I heard retired dads in the distance praising the 95 Chicago Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like they've got a, a bad rep, Michael, for being all about sports in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to tell me. You've been. I haven't been. But I, I know for a fine fact that's the way it is. They do seem to like it over there. They are They are very proud of their <laughs> own stuff. We go across to Princess Carolyn's apartment from there. 
and we get all sorts in this one. This is, of course, Todd, who is running a new show, and the new show is all of his assistants for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, as Bojack is calling Todd, Georgette answers Todd's phone. Uh, as she answers Michael, Todd's phone, what if Todd was one of us? <laughs> I don't know about you, my friend, but yeah. if I fuel your particular fire, I'm not sure what will. Because what indeed if Todd was one of us? That is, of course, followed by Todd's hold music, which is lots of Todd's to the theme of Ode to Joy, which is quite quite the sound. <laughs> that if you haven't seen it already, very, very good. Could point out, of course, that Georgia is a ladybug person as well, his new assistant. Uh, and then Todd, of course, because he couldn't just have one, Michael, he says, assistants are like Deadpool movies. I couldn't just stop at one, even though I probably should. And now I have 12. <laughs> <laughs> Had a quick glance at the people in his apartment or Princess Carolyn's apartment. Um, quick run through of their, the who they are and their tasks of the ones that were named. We get Bella, who's trying out new goofy dance moves for Todd. We get Pedro, who's monitoring five guys' franchises to make sure each one has the right number of guys. We also get Sylvia, who's in charge of checking all about that ace every 15 minutes. Of course, the asexual app that Todd is on, trying to find himself a match, still hasn't found one yet after all this time. There's also a man, after that, nobody else is a named assistant, but there's also a man, <laughs> a man who is rolling a giant burrito around a bunch of smaller burritos, Michael. <laughs> what a great job that is for a I man. Kind of want, I want yeah, to eat I that. really want to <laughs> maybe want a burrito. But also, the Lima photographer guy, who you've, we've seen a million times, he's the guy who wears the yellow V-neck, he's got like black braces on his pants, he wears a little bowler hat, and he's just sitting on a laptop, presumably doing something photo-related, because he is a photographer after all. We've seen him in that line of work. There's also a literal fish man, who I think might be from Pacific Ocean City. We might have seen him in a car once driving around, mm. or in a hotel room with a bunch of other fish, all just bobbing along together. But he's walking in, and he's holding a box that's called um, Todds and Ends, as in like... <laughs> because it's all his stuff and inside the box is just a bunch of there's one kite there's two bowling pins a badminton racket and of course Michael who could forget a David Boreanaz bobblehead in the middle of the box <laughs> it's a nice little ball back to season one and Todd's adventure when he turns Bojack's house in a David Boreanaz's house um, also in the very very background of the screen uh, the scene sorry you'll see the old lady assistant of his from What Time Is It Right Now? We still don't have her name, though. It doesn't mention her at all. And there's also just another random guy with a headset on, standing in a shirt and tie, who's just in the background, too. And, of course, you mentioned it prior, but a brilliant gag, of course, and just, I'll be there in just a jiffy before we get the amazing title card of Two and a Half Jiffies Later. <laughs> um, from there, we cut across the pastiches once again. Um Casey, of course, Todd's assistant, who goes across to see Bojack, mentions that she, uh, that Mark Cherry used to dress her in the outfit Natalie Wood drowned in and screamed at me for hours on end. It was very therapeutic for him, and I didn't mind because he wasn't screaming at me. He was screaming at death. Now, <laughs> I've written down here. Of course, this is clearly just a highlight how terrible the men of Hollywood are mm. and the many bad layers of abuse that assistants have taken for years and years and years, and often nonsensical ones. Just to dive into the references here, Mark Cherry, of course, is the creator of Desperate Housewives, Michael, um, who you will obviously know from that mm. show, I guess. Um, I did a little quick look around, though. Didn't see any mass notables about if he was 
a huge arsehole or not. But then again, <laughs> Bojack Horseman has a tendency to shine light on things that perhaps maybe nobody else has the courage to. And of course, yeah. Nat- Natalie Wood, I-, I-, I couldn't find a connection between the two. So if anybody does know this, please tell me. Or maybe it's more of a commentary about men in Hollywood fetishising certain things. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it's the connection to Desperate Housewives. You can tell me, again, at Podcast Horseman, if you if you can think of it. But Natalie Wood, of course, was the American actress who died under mysterious circumstances during the making of Brainstorm, uh, while she was on a weekend boat trip with Robert Wagner and uh, Christopher Walken. Now, back then, it was the official cause of death was uh, drowning and other undetermined factors, which was mm. changed to that in 2012. It all sounds very mysterious, but there was a lot of unanswered questions about how she ended up in the water. I was trying to figure out what the connection was. Yeah, how will that all fit together with Desperate Housewives, Mark Cherry? I haven't caught with it. I've tried. I couldn't mm. put the jigsaw pieces together. Interesting, nonetheless. If you have anything, again, at Podcast Horseman, give us your best ones. Um, but Bojack the Casey, though, once she's described this awful stuff that's happened and why he thinks he should have that bottle of vodka in rehab, he says... After explaining it's because he's a self-entitled arsehole, essentially. He says, that's the problem. I'm an asshole. All your bosses are assholes. And people like you indulge us. And you soothe our egos. And you let us abuse you. And God damn it. God damn it, Michael. <laughs> true. It's bloody true. It's taken him yeah. six seasons to get there, but it's bloody true. Um, and of course, inadvertently, as I've written down here, Bojack starting this mass of positive changes, swiftly followed, of course, by disaster with Dr. Chump and the vodka bottle later. But, hey, at least he's trying, I guess. He's, it was he's an trying. accident, but it still happened. <laughs> the universe did a nice thing, I guess, to us. Yeah. Uh, we go to the chain reaction, basically, that's happening from all of this. We are going to go to a bunch of different locations. Uh, the first one we jump into, though, is an undisclosed office after uh, Casey has sent out that first text message. And we see a man chastising another man, uh, an assistant, basically, for getting his sandwich order wrong and, and in a big baby kind of way saying, I was meant to ask, I was, oh, this sandwich hasn't got onions. I was meant to ask you for onions and you should have known that is what he said. <laughs> that oh, it makes you want to punch someone right in the face because it's so true. It, it hurts. But brilliantly, the guy who's there is holding a bag in his hand from the Sycamore Kitchen, which is a nod to the real life Sycamore Kitchen. But of course, this is Bojack Horseman. So it's Sycamore like the yes. more, you see, you see. There's a lot of like, um, this whole episode's got very much like a old school, early days yeah. vibe to it, isn't it? Daft animal yeah. puns, big gags, the flying pig, all that sort of stuff. It's yeah. a nice throwback vibe to this one. It's almost like they're trying to make you think of the older seasons, Michael. Jog your memory about certain things and yeah. get you all nostalgic, ready to kick you in the dick, undoubtedly. In a couple <laughs> of minutes. Um, but then, of course, we go to all of the assistants who are starting to walk out on their various different jobs. We see the first meeting that we go to, I believe, Michael, it looks like it might be Stefani uh, having a meeting perhaps with a new company of sorts. In there, you'll also see in the meeting room is Laura, who is Princess Carolyn's old assistant, who is yeah. now clearly on a team of these people who are having the meeting. But the assistant kicks off and throws the coffee everywhere and they're all in shock. We then go across to the offices of Gecko and Rabinowitz, Michael. And the assistant in their office storms out as well. Then we see Courtney Portnoy, another callback. She's standing there waiting for some stuff. And an assistant just chucks all her scripts up in the air and storms off. And then we see, Michael, Tom Jumbo Grumbo's assistant walks out on him on the show. But not, I was thinking, I was like, is this Randy? 
is it Randy? Have we finally seen Randy? But mm. no, it's not. Because for anybody who does a quick check, it is in fact the guy who filled in on screen when Tom Jumbo Grumbo went to check on Randy after he'd fainted that time in season four, episode three Good and work. landed on the keyboard. So we've seen him before, this guy, but he is actually left. Still don't know his name, though, of course, because he's <laughs> assistant and he's apparently indispensable. Well, dispensable, but now not so much. Who knows? They're not doing well without him, put it that way. Um, and then we go to a big pile of mass walkups. Now, the screen splits off into eight here. And basically, from top to bottom, we'll go. Uh, if you were looking at the screenshot of the eight, there's four rows. So we'll start at the very top and we'll go left to right. Uh, from the top left, you will see there's Vim management. You can see it all kicking off there. Then there's one that we don't really know what office is. It looks a bit undisclosed. There's one after that, which is the Vigor office. It looks like the main office of Charlie Witherspoon, who could be seen sort of trying to negotiate with his assistant, who is in himself the assistant, was in the forest with Todd when he released all of the mad clown dentists to get everybody running because he's wearing that top that says, do just it instead of just do it. (laughs) Um, brilliantly and then we also see um, a little callback from season four this one Tilda Madison who is one of Bojack's exes the woman who is a Siamese cat obviously no hair or nothing like that but she's sort of into the yoga and the zen and stuff and they go to visit her with Hollyhock she's there she can be seen getting stormed out again one of her assistants then we go down to the next row on that those four rows and again from left to right we don't know any of these really across this row apart from the third one from the left, which is Todd, obviously having his moment of disaster inside Princess Carolyn's apartment. On the next row, left to right again, not sure about those first two, um, but certainly the third one in from the left is uh, Vigor. The Vigor offices again, we've seen that elevator scene that comes out into the main lobby of Vigor offices from when Princess Carolyn and Cole used to work there. And then you'll also see on the far right of that row is the uh, a shot from the squawk, Michael, you will recall, from the episode Bojack the Feminist, where he goes on there to talk to all the hosts. The one, the female who's in the shot uh, is one of the unnamed hosts. There are two other, three, three others on there, another unnamed and two who have names, but she is one of the unnamed hosts who is featured in that shot. And then at the very bottom row, left to right once again, we see Vigor officers again from a different angle. You'll notice if you look at the ceiling, the lights and the padding are the same. And then also, we're not sure about the next one, but then you'll see the office of Quentin Tarantellino, who is currently dealing with one of his assistants walking out. And then very end, on the very bottom right corner of this, another one shot from bigger offices. You'll recognise a different angle to the right of the bit where all of the elevator scene was. That's pretty much what we have for that. But it looks, Michael, like it's all going wrong. If you're working in a big building, you will not be getting any assistance. Shall we say? I feel like Oprah want to come out and say assistance or assistance. <laughs> Who knows? Um, good, you're absolutely right. Bloody good. About time. Because as we were told brilliantly by Todd, who summarises it up perfectly, no, I've grown too dependent on you. I can't perform basic Todd functions anymore. I'm like a toddler, but a Todd version. A <laughs> toddler. <laughs> <laughs> And they just every now and then deliver this gag where you're like, oh, did you do like three or four episodes of work for that one yeah. joke? And we just yeah. work backwards from there. Oh, so we just, I'll see what you've done. That, <laughs> punchline and you went three episodes in. Good. Really good. We go from there to the set of Birthday Dad once again on those streets of Los Angeles. And there's a few, there's been a car accident in the scene. In the scene, you'll see the car has, the wrecked car has some party balloons attached to it. 
One of the balloons says, happy birthday. Another balloon says, party with an exclamation mark. <laughs> and then on the floor next to that is just a messed up birthday cake. <laughs> scuffed across the floor. Not the best. And obviously this is all happening during the disastrous moment where <laughs> peanut butter's co-star Melody has been impaled by an exhaust. <laughs> impossibly, impossibly so. Impaled by an exhaust. And before she passes away. But after the scene, Peanut Butter once again goes to congratulate her. She says, wow, Melody, are you Janet Gaynor, Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand and Lady Gog? And it gets cut off again by her groaning and storming off. And he just pauses and goes, star is born. Because <laughs> he just can't help himself. He loves a bit of peanut butter in a round, doesn't he? Um, we go then from there, obviously, just before we see peanut butter pushed in front of the car by Princess Carolyn, we do indeed get the shot of Joey Pogo's car. What a piece of shit car this is, man. He's got <laughs> on, his, on his front windshield, he's got a vinyl across the top of it that says, Pogolicious. <laughs> and then his license plate, you can see, says, 2-T-H-R-S-T-Y, which is, of course, too thirsty, Michael, because he's just too thirsty. Not enough thirst, though, for what he has as an air freshener, which is, of course, a marijuana leaf, just because it's Joey Pogo, and why the hell not? And also, in the background, as we see Joey Pogo's disastrous car coming down the road, you will see a truck that's in the background, um, which reads Quailote, as in, like, Quail X-O-T-E, and that's instead of Quixote, which yeah. is a real-life studio in Hollywood, or in Hollywood, I guess, in real life, um, that obviously would help with the production of things like this. So it kind of makes sense they have been included because, of course, they are part of the LA scene too. So it's all there. It's all relative. I don't know. I don't know if they're out in the mind as being a bad studio, but they put them in there anyway. So <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave it up to you. You can decide that one. And um, we go across to Pastiches from there. And as you will see a truck that is driving in called Sharklets, Michael. Uh, that's been driven, of course, by a shark. Um, and instead of the brand is Sharklets, but it's instead of the real life water brand Sparklets, uh, which is actually like a water delivery company who drops stuff off with bottled water, as we see, mm -hmm. turns up at Pastiches. The water, the water plate, the license plate on the car even uh, reads W T R F I S H or W T A F I S H. So it's either water fish, which sounds right, or it's water fish. <laughs> Which you <laughs> tell me, what a fish, what yeah. a fish. It's either or I've got a feeling it might be water fish, but there you go. Um, it's hard to read though, because sometimes you just can't, it's just a little bit too small. As you go into um, Pastiches though, and Bojack is trying to whack the water out of everybody's hands, we do finally get to see, Michael, what was on that one poster that I just couldn't read a while back while they were in pottery class, if you recall. There was a bunch mm -hmm. of posters about with like quotes on uh, on the wall. Yes. There was one poster that, that you could only read that says, Ego is just an addiction, and you couldn't really see the rest of it. Well, now we get it. After all this, a little payoff in itself. The poster says, ego is just an addictive app on our life phones, and isn't that the truth? Good Lord. I like that. It's incredible. And last but not least, we leave Prestiges to go across to Guy's house in Chicago. And we're going to go into this one. First thing that comes to my mind, I popped up on that wall, is this big sign for hams, Michael. Mm. Now, in my head, the gag here is that these are hams that are sold and the, the sales icon is usually maybe a ham, like just a pig 
But in this one, of course, it's a pig person who was like lying across the top of the box. I couldn't find anything else for this. And I looked and looked and looked because the only ham in my life, Michael, is you. <laughs> Michael Hamflit is the only ham in my life. So if you have anything on this, or unless Michael's got a brainwave that's just fallen out of his hammy Michael Hamflit backside, then guess what? You're going to have to tell us. If you're from America or if you indeed know what's going on here, at Podcast Horseman, please let us know. Or is it just the fact it's a ham gag? It could just be that. Not a handbag, a ham gag. <laughs> extremely Chicago y, didn't it? And it yeah, it did. Like super Chicago y. And we were yeah. both ourselves up in our pre production meeting, which is, of course, as always, you and me just shooting the shit off. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> what it was, but we couldn't figure it out. So please do let us know if you do indeed know. Also, on the kitchen top in the background, you'll see a few things. There is mystery oil on there, the kitchen top, which I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, I needed to be less of a mystery before I would put it on anything of mine, I think. Uh, you'll also notice that Diane has, um, she mentioned in a previous episode, the Chicago Baby Humans team, who, uh, which is, of course, that little take on the Chicago Cubs, mm. where the mascot is a giant baby. Well, you'll notice she has a mug which has the giant baby human head on it and says, like, wah, wah on the side, because, of <laughs> course, that's the mascot cup. And it's all about being from Chicago, Michael, as we are learning in this episode and in this show so far this season. On Diane's laptop, though, of course, along with the I am terrible text that fills the screen, you'll see a bunch of other stuff because she's on what appears to be like Microsoft Word or the certain Word version, whatever it is, in Bojack Horseman land. Um, you'll see a bunch of tabs across the top. One of them is for Word art. One of them is for reference. One of them is for review. One of them is for spacing. One of them is for margins. And then one of them is for plagiarism. It says, do not open. <laughs> and then another one at the very end says, cliches, which I quite liked the idea that she might have a bunch of things she wants to put in. None of them working, though, apparently, because, of course, we end this episode pretty much on Diane saying that she is terrible, or she does anyway. Not great. Not a great way mm -hmm. to end for that one. But that is, of course, the end of Horsing Around. That's all the little bits we had from this episode. Um but quite a lot going on there and so plenty to pick from, I think we can agree. Hmm. But having said that, I believe we do have time. We don't have to check with any sponsors anymore because no. what time is it right now? They were real pieces of shit. They don't, get have, <laughs> they don't get to dictate us anymore. But we do have one last time, sorry. We do have time for one last thing. And then I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. Would you like to go first or second? I'll jump in first because it's a super quick one, if that's all right. Why you alluded not? to it. You alluded to it with a couple of different gags in this episode, and I'm going to hit you with one more. Todd had 12 assistants, and you may call them disciples. <laughs> the end. There he is. There he is. I wasn't going to steal that one off you. I knew I might have stepped on your toes with the uh, Todd is one of us, but I couldn't help it. It was yep. part of the phone call. But I left the disciples number <laughs> for you because it was far too obvious, wasn't it? It was straight away. Let's out. I think it was because as well there was it was twelve Princess Carolyns, and I did love the yeah. contrast between all of the PCs being super busy with baby stuff and all of Todd's just dicking about in the yeah. flat basin. Such a different scene and such a different commentary on the luxury of the men in Hollywood compared to yeah. the like totally. the the real life difficulty of the females in Hollywood. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. But let's talk about another female in Hollywood, Michael, because mine this week, it's another technical cop-out, but it's another good one, because mm. once again, our our favourite, our favourite hopeless romantic writer, Diane, is having a difficult time. And yet, 
she still managed to come up with a nugget of greatness. Now, as you will recall, Michael, I've already done it for one of my last things this season was to talk about the fact that that's where we took the name for our one last thing from, from the title of Diane's book. Now, mm. you'll notice in this episode, though, it has changed. It is not the same as it was in the previous episode. In the last one, uh, it used to be, as she was telling Guy, one last thing, and then I swear to God, I'll show up about this forever. Dispatches from the front lines of the war on women, arguments, opinions, reflections, recollections, the razor attacks, and then, of course, she gets cut off. It has changed, though. Now she tells Princess Carolyn on the phone that it's called One Last Thing, and then I swear to God, I'll shut up about this forever. A definitive retrospective of the choices we make, people we hurt, the places we go, part one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, says, how can it be part one if it's supposed to be a tell-all sort of a definitive retrospective? So there you go. Once again, the title has changed. Very Brilliant good. stuff, this. And as much as she may be struggling on screen, at least she's nailed the title. <laughs> she's got the first bit right. I'll let you decide if she's been nailed the title or not. That's up to you, dear listener. Anyway, with that all done and said, I guess it's the only thing we have to do, Michael, is to plug this stupid piece of shit podcast <laughs> and we're going to do it in the only way we know how. If you've enjoyed listening to this and enjoyed talking or listening to two men talk about themselves horse about a talking horse and how men are really bad, then guess what? You can do it again. Or you can go and follow them on social media as well to get more and talk yourself horse about your favourite talking horse and help grow this community of listeners to this show and viewers of this show and everything else. That's why we started this podcast and we'd love you to join us on the journey. So please do give us a follow at Podcast Horseman on Twitter or Instagram. By all means, send us a message if you want, either on to us directly or you can send it in the DM. Well, there, you know what I mean. Tweet, tweet at us or tweet us in the DMs, whichever one you're, you're more comfortable with. We can't respond to all the DMs because they are just quite a lot. But we do always see them and we always bring them up later on if there's a good reason to and there's good enough ones we feel have made the cut. On top of that, though, if you just like to follow either of your hosts, you can do just that. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at It's Adam Nicholas. Or if you would like to follow Michael Hamflit, you can do just that. At Michael Hamflit. You can listen to Podcast Horseman on Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe or like or follow or whatever version of the podcast app you've got. You can get us on Spotify where you can follow us on there. You can get us on Amazon where fingers crossed the staff will do what all the Hollywood assistants did and unionize one day. And you can get us on Acast where you can find that through either subscription model or streaming or however you like it. Acast are great. And you'll see it on the tweet that we put up every Friday on the app Podcast Horseman Twitter feed across all of those apps or at least some of them maybe if you can leave us a five-star review we'd absolutely love it um falls the algorithms into thinking with the billy big bollocks of the podcast world and for one day we uh, we get a jump in the charts and we get to put those sopranos lads in their place and we love to see it um and as we said at the start of the podcast if you uh, want to leave us a five-star review you stand a very good chance of getting inducted into our hollywood talk of fame which is exactly what's happened for thand sam i think it's going to be thand sam t-h-a-n-d-s-a-m uh, short and sweet from Than Sam, but we like it all the same. Thank you for the five stars. Says, best podcast if you're a BoJack fan. Best podcast for a BoJack fan. Thanks for the content, lads. You make me want to re-watch the whole thing again. That's what it's all about, Than Sam. Thank you very much for that. A star on Hollywood Talk of Fame coming to you over the socials very soon. Yes, it will be. And you know what it is? It's funny you say this because as we watch this through, and it's always a delight watching this show through. I think this is like the fourth, third or fourth time for me. Um, and I actually genuinely think I can't wait to go and watch it back when this is all said and done. Mm. Just and 
I obviously have enjoyed every minute of this so far, but what a mad experience it'll be when I just watch it again, just yeah. as a show. But now with all the knowledge of all the time and so I was going to say time and effort. I didn't want to make it sound like we've made loads of time and effort, but I mean like everything we put into it. I can't wait for that to pay off on a rewatch. Yeah. Trust me, I will be rewatching this show until every hair on my head falls off and I'm <laughs> your brain is rotten and you have to pull the plug. That's when I'll be watching Bojack Goddamn Horseman. Anyway, that all got a bit weird, didn't it? Let's go to the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the next episode. That's going to be coming up in season six. On this brilliant show that I'll be watching till the day I die. Season 6, episode 6. Ironically, about the human body again. The kidney stays in the picture, this one's called. The assistants of Hollywood go on strike. Bojack tries to help Dr. Champ. When Todd learns that his mother needs a kidney, Diane comes up with a plan. Ooh, some real, real bits of fish bait have been chucked out there. Michael, mm. I don't know if we're going to bite on them or not, but if you want to find out what's going to happen in this week's episode or next week's episode of both Bojack Horseman and indeed Podcast Horseman, <laughs> you're going to have to come back. It's a horrible game we play. It's the old carrot and stick, but we never, ever let you down and neither will this show. Until then, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Humphrey. And this has been Podcast Horseman. 